Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. The backstory to the earthly ministry. Today starts his earthly ministry. Any Lord of the Ring fans out there? Yeah. Always got to have a few. Okay. This is a shout out to you all. So far, it's been The Hobbit. The backstory. Yeah. We start the Fellowship of the Ring today. Okay. We start episode one, the Fellowship of the Ring. The journey begins of Jesus in ministry, where Jesus calls his first disciples. So, if you're a note taker, we titled it Footsteps. We are always following somebody else's footsteps. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Is everyone there? If not, you can follow along on the screens in front of you. This is what the Word of God says. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, that's Jesus, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in the darkness, they've seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought him all to the sick. Those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. May God bless the reading of the word. Everyone, whether they know it or not, is a disciple. Question is, whose footsteps are you following? Whose footsteps are you following? Everyone's a disciple. So you could ask yourself maybe some probing questions to consider who are you a disciple of? Questions like who do I listen to regularly? Who whose input do I greatly value and would even change course according to, if they were to instruct me to do so. Who do you watch on TV? You just can't miss this 
person's program? Who do you listen to? What radio talk show do you faithfully listen to every morning on your drive? We're all disciples. Think about your children. If you have children, you have kiddos. They are little disciples to their teachers at school, to you, whether you're public school or homeschool or, or something else. They're all disciples. Consider this for a second. Kiddos spend 25 to 30 hours per week sitting under their teacher's instruction. They spend over 1,000 hours a year sitting under their teacher's instruction. They spend over 12,000 hours from K through 12 sitting under their teacher's instruction. We cannot say that's not influential in their life. For a lot of schools and curriculums, that's a scary thing to think about for kids. To be their disciple. What's more scary, though, is that most families don't do a fraction of those hours with Christian discipleship in the home so to offset the secular discipleship their kids might be receiving. And then they wonder, why did they leave the faith at age 18? You consider the amount of hours poured into them, maybe who doesn't have faith. They're a disciple, that's why. I appreciate what Vody Bauckham says, when you send your children to Caesar, don't be surprised when they come home a Roman. They're, they're disciples. That's what you should expect. We are all disciples, and nothing is more important, what I want to get to today is nothing is more important than seeing to it that you and those that you come in contact with, those you love and those you know, are disciples of Jesus. Nothing is more important. That is vital. Are they true disciples, followers of the footsteps of Jesus Christ? I think that's what this passage talks about. That's what I want to consider this morning. I want to walk through this passage and see what it it means to truly follow Jesus' footsteps, to be His disciples. First, it actually starts with Jesus, who follows Joseph's footsteps. His adopted father, the husband Mary. Jesus follows his footsteps where he goes. Look at verse 12 again. Chapter 4, verse 12, it says, When he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He saw danger. So he withdrew into Galilee. Now we're only in chapter 4 of of Matthew. If you jump back two chapters and you see in Matthew chapter 2, verse 22, you'll see, but when he, that's Joseph, heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. 
Jesus heard of John being arrested and he withdrew to Galilee. He's following his father's footsteps, where he went, at least, where he went and where he goes. See, Galilee was a region in northern Israel. And Jesus went into a particular city within that northern region called Capernaum. Verse 13. We go back to the text. Leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, give you some context. Naphtali and Zebulun were known as rebellious tribes. That's why it says this is a region of darkness. And Capernaum was a key city and a trade route. Just speaking historically here, it was a key city for a trade route. And so you would have a lot of Gentiles migrating there and living there for business. And so this is what you have. You have a a nation that is made up of People that follow the God of the Bible, Yahweh. It's Israel. They're following the God of the Bible. That's the nation. And yet within the nation is a very dark place, historically known as a rebellious place, filled with pagans who don't worship God. Just imagine that. Inside an all-Jewish nation who worshipped God, there was a very dark and unconverted city. It's kind of similar to our situation, if you think about it. Not Bethany, per se, but America was founded on Christian principles, right? Currently, it protects our, our faith, our worship. It is, as it stands, the primary religion in our country, and yet there are such dark places in our nation. Huge need for conversion. A huge need for revival. And what on paper could be said, a quote-unquote Christian nation. Horrible darkness. This is what you're seeing in Capernaum, in the regions of Naphtali and Zebulun, And this is where Jesus wants to go. Let's learn from that. Our God is evangelistic. Our God is missional. He came to seek and save the lost. He sent prophets who were ambassadors on His behalf. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, He came Himself. He said, enough with the ambassadors. I'm coming, and I'm coming to seek. I'm coming to save the lost. I'm coming to the darkness. Mark 6, he's completely rejected by his own hometown, and he says a prophet is rejected in his own hometown. Jesus came himself to be rejected like all the prophets before him. So this is, this is intertwined so closely with the very gospel. I just tell you, Christian, all the Christians in the room, You are a product of a missional God, an evangelistic God who sought out to find you, 
to save you, to call you out of that darkness, to follow his footsteps because he had a burden for your salvation. You're a product of a missional God. And if you don't follow Jesus today, he is here to seek and save you. A lost person. And if our God is evangelistic, if our God is missional, we are called to have this same missional burden, just like our God whose footsteps we follow. Right? We're meant to go to the uncomfortable places, to the darkness, the place where we're going to be rejected. We're called to go out as he went out. And that can be really hard, can't it? It means probably leaving your comfort place, Jesus stepped off of his throne in heaven. Don't let your hometown, please hear this, because I'm guessing someone in this room needs to hear it. Don't let your hometown, don't let your family, don't let the culture that you've always known and been familiar with keep you from going. It's called an idol. Eternal souls matter more than what I'm familiar with, what I'm comfortable with, and what I've always known. Appreciate what John Calvin said. He said, we shall never be fit for the service of God if we look not beyond this fleeting life. You hear that? That's convicting. We shall never be fit for the service of God if we look not beyond this fleeting life. But many of us don't go. Many of us aren't missional because all we can see is, but my family, but my hometown. And all we see is this fleeting life. We don't see the souls that are eternal and need to be saved, and thus we're not fit for the service of God. Because he's a missional God, and we ought to be as well. So first we see Jesus follows Joseph's footsteps and where he goes. Secondly, we see Jesus follow John's footsteps in what he says. John went, or sorry, Joseph went to Galilee, withdrew to Galilee. John spoke. And Jesus follows his footsteps in what he says. Read verse 17 with me. It says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, that should sound very familiar. Because if you go back to Matthew chapter 3, just one chapter back, verses 1 and 2, it's identical to what John was preaching. John chapter, or Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is similar to the prophet Jonah, what Pastor Trent was just preaching on recently. It's bold. He didn't, he didn't start with a, a funny story to really catch the attention of his hearers. He didn't have a, he probably didn't go to preaching class, being honest. 
didn't have a three-point sermon. This was his sermon. You're going the wrong direction. You're mistaken. You need Jesus. You're headed to destru- destruction otherwise. That, that's, that's all wrapped up in the word repent. I'm not overselling it. What does repent mean but other than to see the wrong in what I'm currently doing and where I'm headed and turn the other direction and go elsewhere? For there's destruction that way. That's all wrapped up in the word repent. And this was Jesus' message following the footsteps of John, his forerunner, who had the same exact message. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. This means... That we should not only go to the hard places, but we should also be willing to speak the hard words. Jesus went to the darkness, he went to the hard place, but he also spoke those hard words that were confrontational. That's confrontational to tell somebody they're going the wrong direction in their life, in their life values, their lifestyle their choices and how they're spending their money. Redirect. That's confrontational. Confrontational. I, I remember I had to sit down with a friend of mine who I really cared about, care about currently, and uh, just sit down with him and, and say, hey, I love you, and it wouldn't be loving for me not to say this, what I'm about to say, but you need to hear it, and I love you enough to say it. I know you call yourself a Christian, but I see this, and I see this, and I see that. Are those things true? Am I missing something? He says, no, that's right. I said, I don't see how that can line up with a legitimate profession of faith. And I do just don't want you to go your whole life with a false assurance of a salvation you don't have. A lot of people do. Guys, that's tough. That's uncomfortable. That's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what John said. This is what Jesus says. And this is the same message that Jesus called his disciples to go out and proclaim in following his footsteps. We jump to Matthew chapter 10. I think we have it. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. These 12 disciples sent out, sorry, these 12 disciples Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Keep going. And they, if we were to keep going, they found a lot of opposition, a lot of rejection, and yet still a lot of success in people hearing their message. I think we have to do some self-assessment, guys. Am I bold about the gospel like Christ was? First, am I willing to go where he went? Secondly, am I willing to say what he says? Am I willing to follow his footsteps? Let me say this. 
I think many of us can say, really do, many of us can say, I'm not ashamed for the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, right? When someone comes to me, they talk about my faith. You know that Romans chapter 1, verse 16? I'm eager to preach the gospel to you among also those who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I believe a lot of us can say, I'm not ashamed. But I think a lot of us might have to also admit, I'm not ambitious of the gospel. There's a difference. Someone can approach you and you're not ashamed. But you approach them because you're not ambitious. Something we all have to consider. Jesus went and Jesus said. And I hope that all of us would be willing to go and all of us would be willing to say that we would be his disciples and follow his footsteps. So Jesus followed Joseph's footsteps where he went. He follows John's footsteps and what he says. And then the rest of the story that we read this morning is Jesus calls others to follow his footsteps. Where he goes and what he says. Let me read again verses 18 through 22. It says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me. For I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus calls others to follow his footsteps. Three things I want you to notice in these, past, th- these verses I just read. First, notice that Jesus chose them. He called them out, didn't he? He picked them out, he approached them, and he called them. They were selected by Jesus. Later, he, he even clearly spells this out in the other gospel in in John chapter 15 makes it very clear to them you did not choose me I chose you can't get much more point blank than that and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should be abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. You are of the world and the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Jesus chose them. And I think this has an incredible implication on the gospel that we trust and our salvation. This makes the gospel that much more amazingly personal. Hear this. You're not just a number. You're not another body 
and a generalized, ambiguous crowd. No, 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 no. You were chosen, the Bible says. Christian, you have been chosen before the foundations of the world, Ephesians 1. You have been hand-molded by the potter for the exact purpose of salvation and his glory, Romans 9. And since we are still here today, and the end hasn't come, we know that he isn't done calling out his chosen people. He's not done. That's the first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus chose them. Secondly, when he chose them, when he called them out, notice their immediate and complete surrender of their old life. Did you notice that? Both sets of brothers. You see the word immediately. They left their nets. Verse 20, immediately. They left their boat and their father. Verse 22. They left their nets and their boat. That means they left their occupation. That means they left their source of income, right? So easy to read past that and just forget, like, this is a big deal. This is huge. They, they left their source of income, their means of providing for their family. We know Peter, at the very least, was married. And he left his way of providing for her. Like that. Because a man said, follow me. No, no, no. Because Jesus said, follow me. And they left their father. Not just their net and their boat, but they left their father. That means people that they love dearly. People that they don't know if they'll see in the next month, five years, ten years, ever. They left. That's all they know at that point. And they were willing to leave their loved ones. This is a very real image for what it can look like to follow Jesus. I want you to hear that because I'm not going to powder it up as something that it's not. If you aren't following Jesus today, there is no desire I want more than for you to make that decision today. But I'm not going to powder it up for that to happen. What these men did is a very real image for what it can look like to follow Jesus. I know one thing for sure, following Jesus always, not sometimes, not even most time, following Jesus always means leaving some stuff behind. You've been lied to if you've been told otherwise. You've been lied to if you think that it will change nothing and you don't have to leave anything. If your life looks the exact same, I'd even go out and say, you haven't truly met Jesus. Because Jesus transforms. Jesus transforms. So if nothing is different, life looks the same entirely. No alterations whatsoever, no modifications I'm hesitant you haven't you haven't met Jesus. I appreciate what Steve Lawson says. He says in a counterfeit or, or fake conversion, there is no death to self, there is no submission to the lordship of Christ. 
There is no taking up a cross. There is no obedience in following Christ. There is no fruit of repentance. There's only empty words, shallow feelings, and a barren religious activities. On the contrary, with true conversion, sin is abhorred and hated. The world is renounced. Pride is crushed. Self is surrendered. Faith is exercised. Christ is seen as precious and the cross embraced as one's only saving hope. Following Jesus always means leaving something behind, but let me tell you this. What you pick up is always better than what you set down. What you pick up is always better than what you have to set down for him. Always. Always. That's the second thing I wanted you to see is that their immediate and complete surrender to the old life. Third thing that I want you to notice is that Jesus indicated that their new mission with him will look a lot like what they already know. He says, it's going to be like fishing, guys. <laughs> you know fishing. You're going to do some fishing with me. <laughs> Verse 19, right? And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So what did they do as fishermen? Well, look at Verse 18. It's not going to be on the screen, I don't think, but verse 18 says they were casting out nets into the sea. They'll still be casting out nets. It's called evangelism. It's called going to the dark places. To Naphtali, Zebulun, Capernaum. They're going to be casting out nets still. They're fishermen, after all. What else do fishermen do? Well, verse 21 Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, and they were mending the nets. And he called them. Oh, they're still going to be doing some mending when they pull those nets in. Right? It's called discipleship. They're going to cast the nets. And then there's a whole lot of mending to do, a whole lot of work to do when those nets are pulled in. To train up, to build up, to correct, to reprove. They're going to be fishers of men. So like the disciples, our mission is to cast our nets and to do some mending afterwards. With that description of being a fisher of men, I want you to ask yourself and consider, am I a fisher of men? Have I been fishing for men? How often do I cast out the net? Can't catch anything if you don't catch it out or throw it out. How often do I cast the net? And am I doing some mending as well, simultaneously? Are there people that I'm building up, people I'm discipling, people I'm teaching, people I'm in relationship that I'm willing to correct in faith? Am I casting my net, doing mending 
Am I a fisher of men? Christ calls us to follow him. And he uses that imagery. From that point on, his disciples were exactly that. They were disciples 24-7. In their waking, in their sleeping, they were looking at Christ. He was their vision. They were sitting underneath the new master and a new teacher. They were new disciples. So what was Jesus saying and where was he going? Well, first, we know what he was saying. Let's read verse 23. When he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, he was teaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. If you go to the book of Acts, do you know what the disciples were doing? They were going out proclaiming and teaching and healing. Where did they learn that? Well, they were disciples. They were sitting underneath the teacher. It's exactly what they did, and they followed his footsteps. We are also Christ's disciples, though, aren't we? We're not called, please hear this, you are not called to maintain your faith through this life. You are not called to coast through this life. You are not called to merely exist in this life. You are not called to just have a personal faith. Don't tell yourself that. You are not called just to have a personal faith and make it safely to heaven. You have a far greater calling than that. We are called to spread his message, to extend his kingdom, to display his glory. And this means boldly proclaiming, boldly praying for him to work and to heal people's lives. That's what he was saying. Let's finish up. Jesus not only said, but he went. Where did Jesus go? Well, let's read verses 24 and 25. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics. He healed them, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond the Jordan. What's the point here? Jesus' word went out everywhere. That's the point. And so we should learn as his disciples to get the word out everywhere. So, maybe you're not a Christian today. Maybe you're just doing a nine-to-five like these fishermen were. That's all. Just doing a nine-to-five, minding your own business like these fishermen. Please hear this. God is calling you to follow him. He calls all of creation to sing Alleluia. He calls all. And I plead with you to respond in faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. And remember, it is always better to follow Him even knowing that you'll have to leave your boat, leave your nets, leave your father. It's better. Church, this is a dark world. Most people have no real concern about their eternal life. We are called to go boldly, to speak boldly, 
to trust God in sowing the seed so that not a single one of his people would be lost. That's our calling, to follow his footsteps. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.